read Revelation uh, chapters 8 and 9 and then uh, 11, 15 through 19. So let's give our attention to God's word. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. 
And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping, <clears throat> nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged but your wrath came and the time for the dead And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we... Look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we always pray at this point to ask for your help. And Father, tonight, I don't need your help more than I usually do, but uh, I I always need your help. Uh, But tonight I feel it more than I usually do. Father, as we come to such a a difficult passage and difficult in so many ways, would would you open it up to us? Father, this is your word that you've given to your church and you want you want your people to hear it. And so we pray that you would work so that we might. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Over the summers I was working on uh, working on these. Uh, these sermons through Revelation, I listened to a, a story on uh, This American Life. I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast, but it's, a, it's an excellent one. Uh, this American Life, and it was about, uh, this is a really tough story about a girl who had been uh, raped in her apartment. And it was just one of these horrific stories uh, because it was, uh, she lived by herself and this was someone that broke into her apartment and uh, had evidently been you know, watching her and tied her up and raped her and uh, it was it was horrible, and she so she's obviously obviously traumatized by that, uh, and she calls uh, she calls the the police, and she calls her parents, and she calls a couple of friends, uh, and and talks with them about this, and you know to make a long story short, for whatever reason, there, and there were a couple of factors, but her her parents, particularly her mom and one of her best friends, began to actually doubt her story. There were just some aspects of it that just seemed odd. And at some point in the investigation, they, they sort of confessed that to the police. That they, 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 did, they don't know why she would lie about it. And they don't really know that she is. But it just, 
I don't know, they wondered. And so then the police began to doubt her story. And then basically the whole thing flips around on her. And they're accusing her of, fall, of filing a, uh, a false police report because they get her so confused that she begins to doubt it. And she gets prosecuted, uh, yeah, for filing a false report. It was all over the news. Um, and her life was ruined. She lost her job. Um, you know, it's just, it's all over the place that, that she's made up this story. And yeah, her life is just wrecked. And as you're listening at that point, because you, you know, you know all along as you listen to it, that it, it actually did happen. It's so frustrating as you listen to it because it, it's one of those moments where you just sort of you just sort of cry out, at least inside, like, is there no justice in this world? Like, this poor woman, not only did she have to suffer this awful trauma, but now it's compounded by the fact that nobody believes her and her life's wrecked, and they all think that she just made it up. And, yeah, just, you know, is there no justice in this world? And, you know... Whether or not you've had something you know, that, of that magnitude happen to you, you've certainly experienced something along those lines where, you, where your insides cry out, is there no justice? Uh, are the bad guys going to always get away with it? Uh, is evil ever going to be you know, taken to task? Is there going to be judgment? And uh, this semester, if you've been with us, you know we're studying through the book of Revelation. And our theme each week is the unveiled truth. Uh, that revelation is really God pulling back the curtain of reality and showing His people what's really going on in this world. Uh, despite what it might seem like uh, is true, He pulls back the curtain and shows us what's really true. And so as we ask the question sort of, uh, of this world and of, of God, is there any justice? Uh, what, what I think we see tonight in this passage is that the answer is yes. A very loud and resounding yes. There is justice. We're going to see the unveiled truth of judgment. And we're going to look at that in four ways uh, tonight. Um, and we're going to have to move pretty really quickly. But uh, first, we're going to see that judgment is an answer to prayer. Secondly, we'll see that judgment is being brought by God now. Thirdly, we'll see that judgment doesn't always look like what we might think it looks like. And then fourthly and finally, we'll see that for now, judgment has grace in it. All right, and look, as we begin, I said this uh, earlier, I believe that, look, this is just, this is a hard one. It's hard from a number of aspects. It's just a tough passage to know what in the world's going on. And I think that we really can make uh, a lot of sense of it. But even so, it's still really difficult to know what, what is what. Um, a lot of the imagery in some ways is, I think we can come to some cl- conclusions. And yet at the same time, it, it's sort of slippery almost. But we're going to try. Um, it's also about a very difficult subject matter, right? Talking about God bringing judgment. Um, and so... A couple of thoughts. I want you to, number one, I want you to hang with me. Um, It's probably going to bring up a lot of uh, questions for you and maybe a lot of reaction. And before you just sort of tune me out, uh, at least least hear me out to the end. 
And then uh, last thing I want to say is that, uh, before I say everything else I want to say, is that we can't say everything tonight. So this isn't the unveiled truth about everything about judgment. Um, and so, yeah, there, there very well might be a lot of questions about this, and, and so let's get together and talk about it. But, all right, let's try to dive in. Um, judgment is an answer to prayer, and we're, gonna, we're just going to take a cursory look at this. Um, but, so we've been seeing that John has been getting these visions, right? Um, he's been getting these visions of God's throne room. And he's seen that God is on the throne and that uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right, is, is on the throne and that the lion is the lamb, right, that that's Jesus. And then the scroll of God's plan of bringing judgment and redemption. And so uh, what, last week we looked at the seven seals that were on the scroll and we said that that was the, um, that, that there's going to be pain and suffering in this world and, and that's going to affect the church. It's going to affect God's people. And so here, as we get this, this new vision, or in a sense, this continued vision, but a new aspect of it, um, we see the, uh, the, the seven trumpets. And right before we get into that, as the, as the angels are given their trumpets that they're going to blow, uh, we get this vision of uh, this angel coming with a, a, with a censer, right? This, um, you know, he's burning incense, right? You think of the priest with the ball, right, on the chain, swinging it, right? Um, and this, the, the incense is pictured uh, sort of parallel with, with the prayers of God's people going up before him in, the, in this pleasing aroma. And so what are the prayers of God's people? Well, it was represented, uh, they're representative of what we saw in chapter 6. Right? If you recall, you can go back and look, the saints are under the throne and they're crying out to God, How long, O Lord? How long until you uh, avenge the deaths of your martyrs? How long until you bring justice? And so what we get in the very beginning here of chapter 8 is you see that the prayers of the church, if you're a believer, that's your prayers, that it's the prayers of His people that are going up sort of like incense before God and he's receiving them as this pleasing thing. It pleases him to, to, to get them. And then it's actually those prayers that in a sense bring him to action. Right? He takes this incense and he hurls it onto the earth. Right? The, it's, it's sort of this vision of the prayers uh, causing God's action. Not that we leverage God into doing things, of course. But you get the picture that, that the prayers of his, that God uses the prayers of His people. And so, look, I, I don't know how, why does that matter. Well, look, if you're a Christian, do you have a hard time praying? Um, I know I do. Uh, and if you do, why do you? do you? Do you ever feel? Do you ever sit there and think, like, what am I doing? Am I just, are these just words or thoughts that are just sort of going into the air and going anywhere? Is this affecting anything? Is this real? Because that's sure what it can seem like. And I think we get this great vision, right, of what, even though it might seem like that, what's really true is that our prayers are going up before God and He, he loves them. They're, they're a sweet smell to Him. And they actually... He actually uses them in his infinitely wise plan. 
And I think, right, that has to be encouraging. It has to help us to see that, right, I, I tend to think, if you're like me, you tend to think about it like sort of, sometimes at least, calling customer service, you know, about whatever product or service you got. And, you know, they're listening, but not, they're not listening, right? They don't care what you think. And sometimes it can feel like that. But we get this vision that that's, that that's not true. And I think that that just might give some energy to our praying. Um, so we see that judgment is actually, uh, in some ways, initiated, brought about by our prayers. Secondly, I want you to see that judgment is being brought by God now. Judgment is being brought by God in the, in the here and now. Um, all right, here's where we need to stop for a second and talk for just a minute about how we understand the book of Revelation. And this, I think, may be one of the main keys of interpreting Revelation. I think this will help us understand a ton about the book. Okay? Um, so we've got to keep in mind that, that what we see next in the book of Revelation, the next chapter, the next vision, whatever, that John is recording what he sees next, but it's not necessarily what happens next in history. Okay? All right, so here's the deal. I, I think we, tend, we tend to think about the book of Revelation that it's, pro, that it's a start to finish. You know, it's about, uh, it's about the future, and it starts in chapter 1, and it goes to chapter, what, 22, and... We need to figure out where we are in that timeline. But here's what I think is, uh, really is going on in Revelation. Revelation seems to be seven different looks at what is going on in history. So that what you see, the whole book of, of Revelation, is actually um, seven cycles, right? And I think, you know, as we, we see in Revelation, it's all about s- symbolism. Numbers are symbolic and that, I think that is in play here. The revelation is broken up into seven sections, and each one gives us um, a glimpse of some truth about the uh, of the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And then we get it again, and then again, but each time it's from a different uh, angle or different perspective. I think that you could... Uh, well, let me give you the breakdown first. If you're a note taker, um, it might be helpful to you. I think you can roughly break it down like this, the seven sections. Chapters 1 through, th- one through 3. Chapters 4 through 7. Chapters 8 through 11. Then 12 through 14. Then 15 and 16. And then 17 through 19. And then the seventh is 20 through 22. I think you could think about it like this. Um, you know when you're watching a football game, if you don't, I have no idea how to relate to you, but if you know what it's like to watch a football game, you know they're going to show a lot of instant replay, right? Baylor scores, if you're watching, you know, especially if you're watching at home, Baylor scores, um, and so you watched it once, and then they show it to you again, and they show you that same angle. And then they show it again from, you know, like the, uh, the top cam. And, and you, get, you sort of focus in on, what, you know, was his foot in bounds? It's the same play. But now we're looking at, at this, from this angle at this aspect. And then you get one from this angle. And it's like, did the ball cross the plane before, you know, went out of bounds? Something like that. 
And then you get the same play again, different replay uh, from a different angle that you know points out what this defender was doing. And it's the same play, but it's from a totally different angle. And right, and you know that it, sometimes that can be confusing, right? It, it, Maybe you've done this yourself, or usually, like, if your grandmother's in the room, and she's like, did we score again? We just scored, right? Like, no, it's the same play, Grandma, right? I don't watch football with my grandmother either. I don't know. I thought you did. Um, but you get the picture. I think that's what Revelation as a whole, I think it's a great illustration, I didn't come up with it, of what Revelation looks like. We're getting seven glimpses of the same time period, right, from Jesus' first coming to his second and then we get it again and again and again with different aspects. And so as we enter chapter 8, we're, we're coming into a new section. So last week we saw the seven seals, right? And how they um, basically unleashed, as God's plan unfolds, and unleashes all of this, um, quite frankly, suffering and tragedy on the earth. And we said that the church is going to experience that. Um, the church is not immune. Christians are not immune to pain and suffering. Well, now, as we get into this new section, we see the seven trumpets, right? You see the parallel, obviously, and there's a ton of overlap. Um, sets of, there's a set of four and then three, and four and then three. Um, the subject matter overlaps a lot. And what I think that you're seeing here is the, is the same thing as the seals, the same tragedy and suffering and pain that's going to, going to affect the earth, But this time, it's in respect to the rest of the world. Last week, the seals, it was in respect to the church. And how we saw saw that it's going to affect the church, but they're ultimately sealed, protected from it. And here we get the picture of all of this pain and suffering and the fact and how it it interacts with uh, in respect to the rest of the world. And the fact that it's judgment, actually. All right, so what do we see? As we keep that in mind, what do we see? Um, We're going to take really a broad scale look at it. Like I said, they fall into a set of four and then three, like the seals. Uh, And there's a lot of overlap, right? There's all kinds of calamity and suffering and pain. And look, it's it's so hard to pin down exactly what each one looks like or what it represents. And so I I think the idea is to take them as a whole, as a symbolic whole. Um, and if we do that, right, we see that uh, the first four trumpet, trumpets bring devastation to the earth, to creation itself, um, to the to trees, to land, to sea, to the drinking water, and that people suffer indirectly as a result of that. All right, so what is that? It's things like tornadoes and floods and earthquakes and volcanoes and and uh, you know diseased water and drought and famine, and those sorts of things, on and on. And then we move on to the fifth trumpet, which uh, seems to highlight more, sort of a more demonic spiritual aspect, and we're going to zero in on that in just a minute. And then the sixth trumpet seems to bring just sort of outright death and destruction of all kinds. Uh, there, one quote I want to read you, uh, says that, a guy named Michael Wilcox says, the death-dealing horsemen of trumpet six are not tanks and planes, or not only tanks and planes. They're also cancers and road accidents and malnutrition and terrorist bombs and even peaceful demises in nursing homes. 
And so I, I read that to, to make the point that, that, again, what we're seeing is the same thing from a different perspective. So in other words, um, the very same event very well can be a, a seal and a trumpet. Just in respect to different people. Does that make some sense? A little bit? I, it, again, I told you. It's tough. Um, all right, so what's the main point to this? Why is God giving his people this vision? And I think it's, I think it's pretty straightforwardly this. That he is showing his people... Right, particularly right, in this day, in this context, they're suffering severe persecution. And he's given them this vision that you're, you're going to suffer. You can expect that. Still going according to plan. But there is going to be justice. And in fact, I'm bringing justice in part right now. That the bad guys, so to speak, aren't getting away with it. Because that certainly could be what it, fe- what it feels like. But they're not getting away with it. In fact, they're bearing judgment even right now. A taste of the judgment that's to come. They're experiencing it right now. Um, maybe we should have said this earlier, but you know, why, the tr- why trumpets? Uh, what are trumpets in the Bible? Remember we've said we're going to understand Revelation in light of the Old Testament. Um, I think one of the main ideas would come from Joshua 6. You remember the story when um, God, uh, they're going to take over Jericho, right? And what does God tell them to do? He tells them, you know, go in there and, you know, take your weapons and destroy them, right? No. What does he say? Walk around the city and blow your horns. (laughs) Walk around the city seven times and then on the seventh day they, what, do it seven times, something like that. And then they blow their, their trumpets. That was it. And what happens? The walls fall down and victory is theirs. Um... What, what did the trumpets do? We're going to see something else they do in a minute, but the trumpets were, were a signal of God's victory. Trumpets in the Bible announce something big is happening, and, and they're announcing the fact that, look, God has won. His victory is now. He is triumphing over his enemies. Evil is being punished and judgment is coming. He really is doing something about it. All right, we need to keep moving quickly. Um, Thirdly, I want you to see that judgment doesn't actually always look like what we might think it does. Uh, In this, I want to look at the fifth trumpet. Because I think it shows us a great deal about the nature of judgment. It's really a a, a terrifying scene if you you look at it. Uh, You get the vision essentially of hell being opened up. Of hell being opened up in these... These locust-like creatures streaming out of it and tormenting people for five months. And and it doesn't kill them, even though they want to die, they don't. All right, so what's going on here? And I think the fifth trumpet is sort of a more, um, I guess you could say, spiritual look at things. At the the angle, uh, spiritual angle of the suffering of the world. Um... All right, so keep in mind these locusts are symbolic, right? We're not, we're not out there looking for like, all right, they're, they're the real locusts. Um, but they seem to be demonic, right? They come from the bottomless pit. Uh, and I want you to look in verse 920. It says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols 
of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Um, so look, do you see what that's saying? That these people that worship demons and idols end up being tormented by what? These demonic things. I think the point, I think what we're seeing is this vision of the fact that at least one of the ways that God brings judgment is that the very thing that we worship, if it's something other than God, is actually going to bring nothing but pain and torment on us. They're being tormented by the very thing that they love, the very thing that they think is the greatest thing in the world. Right? It's what happens in the, um, the ten plagues, right, in the Exodus story. If you ever wondered, like, what in the world was all that about? It's basically God showing, right, the Egyptians worshipped these things like the Nile and the sun and those sorts of things. And it's God showing, look, what is worshipping you is actually not a real God and it's killing you. And I am so much greater than that thing. That by worshipping something other than me, you're just bringing destruction to yourself. And I think, again, we're getting the same picture here. We tend to think of it maybe like, a, you know, judgment looks like this catastrophic event. Certainly that's, you know, in the text. But, but here you get the picture that judgment can look like this very mundane sort of everyday, everyday thing, really. Um, that, that what you really want, if it's something other than God, is actually destroying you. That it brings judgment. And it's like God basically just says, I'm, I'm going to let it run its course. Have you ever seen the documentary? There's a few of them floating out there on um, uh, crystal meth, like faces of meth or something like that. Um, if you've seen it, right, like, okay, that stuff is bad. Don't do meth, okay? If you, if you don't hear anything else from RUF. Um, the, the documentaries are really powerful. The one I saw, basically, this uh, guy put together all these before and after pictures of uh, people that had been arrested. The first time they got arrested, and then he would take their mugshot from when they got arrested again, like, you know, just a year or two later, after they've been, the first time they got arrested for meth, and then here they are two years later. And it is shocking how just destroyed they are. I mean, it's not just like, wow, they must have had a rough go of it. I mean, they, they look like the walking dead. And so I want you to think about that, that picture, right? Somebody that's addicted to something like that, to that, that degree. That's what they want more than anything else. They want it. And it is the very thing that's killing them. They have no more relationships. They have no job. Um, every, everything about their life is just in shambles. And it's because of the thing that they still want more than anything else. And the more they get it, the more it just destroys them. And so look, I think, right, uh, even if you're a believer, I think that can be very instructive to us to, to, to see that at work. Right, the way, if you, are there things in your life that you, that you put on a pedestal that you love more than God? And let me just tell you, there certainly are. Whether you're, even if you're a believer, right, we still experience this to some degree. And those things are killing us. And, and in a sense, that, that's the judgment. Um, 
right? It just degrades us. If you chase after your grades, if, if grades are what's going to make you, um, if that's the thing you want more than anything else, then you always chase it. And when, when you get a good grade, that's great for a little bit, but then you just, there's another one coming. And if you get a bad grade, then you're destroyed. And it never stops. And you just work and work. If it's money, right, the same thing. If it's popularity, the same thing. It, whatever it is, right, if you draw it out, to, if, you, if you look at it from that angle, you see it, it doesn't do anything but destroy us. And so very often God's judgment on sin is the sin itself. It's like he takes his hands off and says, I'm going to let it run its course. Right, if you know, if, if it's Facebook uh, likes or Instagram likes or what you know, whatever you like and whatever you reach, retweet, whatever, right? It, if that's what you're always running after, then you always got to have more. If you got 50 on this picture, that was great, but now, you know, I need 60, however many it is, and it never stops. You get the idea. It's miserable. So sometimes judgment doesn't look like what we. Uh, might tend to think it does. But lastly and finally, uh, and very quickly, I want you to see that for now, judgment has grace in it. Um, we said just a minute ago that the trumpet imagery is, is that of announcing victory, and it certainly is. But um, I think there's another aspect to it as well. Uh, in the Bible, the trumpet also acts as a warning, a warning uh, sound, siren. Right? Even in the story of Jericho, it was both. It was really a warning to the, to the people of Jericho. This is about, like, you can, you can run. Sure, they could have left. But judgment is coming. And so what I want you to see is that these trumpets, as they announce that judgment really is coming and is here, that it also serves as a warning. It calls people to repentance. So in a sense, this judgment to the world is a, is a bad and a good thing. All right, think about it like this. Do you want to hear a tornado siren? Well, kind of depends, right? Because you, on the one hand, you don't want to hear it because that means a tornado's coming, and so therefore, no, I don't want to hear it. But if a tornado's coming, you want to hear it, right? You want to hear the siren. Why? So you can take cover. And that's what these trumpets are doing. They're, they're like a warning siren, to the world that says, look, there is something wrong here. There is something that is just way off and you need to wake up. Right? God blows the trumpet to call people to see that if if you're worshiping something other than me, it's killing you. And look, this is not God being a bully. Right? This is not God saying like, all right, I'm going to give you one chance and then I'm just going to smack you down because I have such a big ego, the only thing that you can worship is me and I just get angry if it's something else. This is God being incredibly gracious because we were built to worship Him. And it's Him saying, look, it's just the way you are. If you, if you give your life to something else, it will destroy you. And so He sends these judgments to say, wake up. Pay attention. See that this is the case. Uh, I want to reference Luke 13. You can go home and look it up yourself. Jesus says something very similarly. 
he says, uh, he tells us to repent. Um, but let me end with this since we're out of time. Look, if you're, if you're hearing the trumpets, so to speak, then I want you to see that that's actually great news. If you find yourself saying like, I, I, I quote unquote hear those trumpets. If you're tracking with what I'm saying and that scares you, in one sense it should and at the same time I want you to see that that is great news. Because that means that God is at work in you. Because the, the world doesn't hear the trumpets. And so if you're hearing that siren, if you're hearing, if you're feeling life saying, there is something wrong here, then that is God in his grace. You're hearing God in his grace calling out to you. And he's calling you to repent. And so I would implore you to turn to him. Um, and let me end with this thought, right? That, that this really is, that it's salvation, that, that God's salvation is by grace, that you can turn to him for free. Um, I want you to look at the last trumpet. What do you see? You see God with his people. And at the end, you see the temple. You get the picture of the temple where God dwells with his people and it's opened up and you see the Ark of the Covenant. We had not seen that for like a long time in the Bible. So why is that important? Because what it, the Ark of the Covenant brings to mind God's gracious, gracious covenant with his people. What was the top of the, uh, of the Ark called? It was called the Mercy Seat. Right? Where the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled. The atonement cover. Because God's relationship with his people is not one of you hearing the trumpets and starting to act right. But it's one of, of, you, of you recognizing that you can never pull your life together. But he offers it to do it for you. And that, that he does that in the person and work of Jesus. Which is amazing. Because God doesn't just fling uh, judgment down onto the earth of people and you know, say, like, I hope you figure it out. But he comes and he experiences the judgment himself on the cross, right? The lion is the lamb that was slain. He comes in and he experiences it for you in your place. And I hope that you, uh, that's an invitation to you and I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Um, uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit, which, uh, Father, we trust will help us to understand it and apply it to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.